Hello, Forever Family. My name's Shannon. I'm the Recovery Pastor. And today I just want to dive into Scripture. And let's just talk about addiction according to what, to what Scripture tells us. So first we're in Hosea 3. And, and I want to really think about this passage, this chapter. This is Gomer, and he's addicted to adultery. So let me, let me say this first. Addictions are very powerful enemies to our relationship with God. Whether the addiction is alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, the internet, shopping, whatever, addicted people um, can attest that they seem unable to control their desires. Gomer had an addiction. As a harlot, she sold sex for favors. The Bible is unclear whether she had been a prostitute before Mary, but God was definitely speaking through this addiction. When she married Hosea, she lived with him, had children, but the children were not Hosea's necessarily. And what I mean by that is they were children of a harlot. And you can see that in the first chapter in verse 2. But despite Gomer's actions, Hosea loved her. She, she sought comfort in his love, but however, she was still in an addiction. She ran to others who made her feel loved, but she was not loved by them. They used her and they left her feeling even more alone and more empty. But it was Hosea that brought her back. You see, the story illustrates the power of true love. And I'm not talking about love through desires, but true faithfulness and love that can only be found in God. And this is what God has toward all of us sinful people. It is a very tragic illustration of the results of an addiction. Her sexual addiction pulled her away from her family and then left her so alone and so empty. And she needed someone in her life to redeem her because no one else wanted her. Addictions usually begin very subtle. It's an experience. It's a substance. It's an individual that may bring pleasure to you in a, in a way that all of a sudden you become obsessed with. But eventually, the obsession takes control. Rarely can a person escape that addiction without some form of intervention. Now, addicts must determine, you know, that they're going to be changed. You can't help someone if they're not ready to be helped. They have to be able to replace the addictive behavior or the addictive substance with something that is more wholesome, something that makes them feel complete. We all know that addiction destroys individuals and families and friendships and reputations and careers. But addictions also can make people victims of their own desires. Now, don't get me wrong. When someone starts playing the victim, I'm the first one to go, hold up. Let's talk about your choices. Let's talk about your decisions you made. But in reality, we are victims of our own demise. God offers hope and God wants to free his people. But we have to turn our lives over to him. He wants to show us that he can meet all of our needs. So with God's help and his compassion, there is accountability through other believers that can help the addicts be set free. I mean, after all, Jesus has already paid the price. But I want to 
flip through scripture real quick. Let's go over here and let's talk about. So we're in Isaiah 5. And I'm actually looking more at verse 11. So talking about being hooked on something. The prophet Isaiah, he warned of judgment. He says, whoa. It was judgment on those who were addicted to alcohol. He said that they were so dependent on it that they began early in the morning and continued drinking till late in the night. You see, the tragedy of addiction is that it controls us, it dominates us, and it really skews our thoughts. The even greater tragedy is the rejection by the addict of God's love. We get to a point where we're like, no one loves me. I've screwed up everything. No one sees me. No one cares. No one hears me. I'm crying for help and I'm alone. When really we need to stop looking to each other for that completion because we can't give it to each other. It is through God. Now I get that God has angels and he's working through people. There's a difference. He's working through people. It is still God doing the work. So many times we regret not answering to the Lord's call and we start pulling away. But God alone can provide lasting comfort and joy and relief. You know, in Isaiah 6, God is the master of the unexpected invasion, if you will. He will use any tool at his hands to break through a person's walls. The walls of arguing and excuses and um, just ignoring people. That stands between us as individuals. But God can crumble those walls and he'll do it with grace and mercy. His purpose is neither to defeat us nor conquer us, but to set us free. He knows that everything we use to try to keep God away only imprisons us within our own desires. Sometimes God uses personal crisis or someone else's troubles to get our attention. And occasionally God will use a national crisis. There's many of us that can look back at 9-11 and it really changed how we viewed the whole world and how we respected life. Isaiah's ministry eventually spanned the reigns of several kings. But his personal preparation for ministry always occurred when he faced God completely transparent. And he said, God, I'm here for you. Use me as you will. So I want to flip over to another scripture real quick. Let's see. Sorry, I usually have these marked better. So we're in Colossians, we're in chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 5 and 6. This is talking about being overcomers. Believing sets us free from legalism, but we still have to be very careful to stay away from certain activities that are against God's will for us. In these verses, it describes some of the sinful desires that believers should put to death. And it is talking about the sexual sins and the evil desires, adultery, 
All of these have no place in a believer's heart. It takes conscious daily decisions to say no to the flesh. If we back up to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, it's talking about our mindset. Set your mind on things above, not the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, as believers, we should set our mind on things that are, are a better focus, a better priority. And scripture says it's the things of above. Now, this doesn't mean refusing to hold a job or caring for a family member. But what it means is that believers should have a different attitude as we go through every single day. We should have a different attitude because we love God and we want to live for him. So we center our lives on Christ. When we set our mind on things above, we begin to see life from God's perspective. We work and serve to please God. You know, recovery, we say that's an attitude of gratitude. I think sometimes we miss that. I think sometimes we miss the fact that gratitude is not just what God is doing in my life. I have a gratitude heart. I have overflowing gratitude in my heart when I see other people being blessed by God. Because many times they've said, hey, will you pray with me? Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. What are we praying for? And then I see those blessings. So setting my mindset on saying, yes, I'm going to partner with you in prayer for whatever it is that you're asking God to do or remove or change. And then seeing that blessing, that's amazing confirmation. Got one more little bit to share with you. And this is something we've touched on before. But I feel like from time to time, <clears throat> from time to time, we just have to say it again. So, so many times people think of um, addiction as just alcohol or drugs, but it's not. Truly, addiction is, is something that becomes our idol. It's something that we live to serve because it gives us temporary pleasure. It may be a selfish way of looking at things, but it is a temporary gratitude. It is a temporary flesh desire that's satisfied and it starts to spiral out of control. So the word addiction technically means that the brain has become kind of codependent, if you will, on a substance. And the body feels like it needs it. So the chemicals in the brain produce what used to be good chemicals is all of a sudden changed. It be the brain becomes neurochemically dependent. And so what that basically means is the brain has a craving. It has a craving for a substance or a substance producing behavior. But over time, more of this substance is required to achieve the same effect. And honestly, we never get the same effect. So there's a factor that's, that's called tolerance is built up. It also means that when an addiction is stopped, it, the brain is like rebellion. It's like, no, 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 I have to have this. Give this to me. And of course, that's what we call detox, the withdrawals. But I feel like from time to time, we have to go back and say again, what causes addiction? Because addicts are lonely. 
They're starving for love and attention and nurturing. And as human beings, that is what we crave is human connection. Many become angry. Sometimes they're angry when they're children and it leads to uh, addiction later in their teens. Some are angry as adults. Regardless what happens, this anger is physical, it's emotional, it's, it's all different levels. And I'm just using anger as an example. But we also have to see that usually this anger, for an example, is attached to a negative behavior instead of a positive behavior. So if we have healthy, positive, reinforcing behaviors, in other words, I'm going to correct you and I'm going to tell you what was wrong and where it went wrong and how it could have been different. When you have that as a healthy reinforcement, it's called speaking truth and love. So when someone speaks truth to me in love, it's not always easy to hear. Sometimes I don't want to hear it at all. But I know they're telling me with a pure heart because they want to see me be a better person. And if we're going to be really honest, addiction is a problem of sin, the original sin. It's a rebellion. And when the enemy in the garden said to Eve... Did God really say not to eat this fruit? The enemy didn't make her do it. All he did is planted the seed of doubt. She took it and ran with it. The enemy doesn't stick a needle in your arm. He plants a seed. Nobody loves you. You can't handle it. What's wrong with you? Everybody else is successful. Why are you not? He plants a seed. We take it and run with it. So I want to look at addiction on a spiritual level. Spiritually, addicts must take the risk of confessing that they are actually powerless. They fear that if anyone else knows that they are in addiction, they'll be ridiculed, they'll be abandoned. Fellowships with others will stop. Confessing they are powerless to someone, it, it brings you to a point where you're like, I don't know what the next step is, and I don't see the next step on this bridge. And there might not be a step, and I'm petrified. But I want you to read James 5.16. It encourages believers to confess our sins to each other in order to be healed. Now, emotionally. Emotionally, addicts will need to address old wounds that have been caused long ago, and it's made them to feel like they are unloved and unlovable. This may be a matter of even seeking intense counsel, like professional help, and that's okay because you may have a trauma or a memory from the past that you need help dealing with. Now, there are healthy churches out there that create these opportunities, and usually in a Celebrate Recovery, you can find that. But it's okay to seek professional help. So in a church facility, you would know this as accountability. They're a support group. You'll find sponsors and mentors and guides to help you along this, this life of sobriety. You create new habits with healthy behaviors, and before you know it, you have broken the old destructive patterns. So physically, physically addicts may need to seek medical evaluation, maybe even medical intervention. They may need medical help to detox. I had someone one time say, oh, we just put this person in a room and let them sweat it out. And I said, no, 
You don't know what they have had in their body. That could cause them to have a heart attack or a stroke. It's okay to seek medical attention because I would rather someone be in a medical facility going through detox as the brain's chemistry is trying to come back into balance instead of them going into cardiac arrest. But regardless, the treatment of any addiction is often found in a specialized program. It requires caregivers, even if the caregiver is a medical team or a sponsor in a NAAA group. You need somebody who's walked the walk. But ultimately, you have to remember that it is God that provides for you. Everything comes together. All of your soul care comes together under the guidance of God's hands. So I'll leave you with a couple of scriptures you can read later. I want you to check out Psalms 44. Verse 21. I also want you to check out Psalms 51, verses 1 through 19. Check out Proverbs 23, 21. Luke 21, 34. Ephesians 5, 18. And Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. You're probably thinking... You're probably thinking, man, I, I know what addiction is. I got it. Don't have to hear it. But I do think from time to time, we just need that reality of, I need to hear it one more time. Because in the long run, it says, hey, I'm still checking the boxes. I'm still doing good. I can keep going. I just got to keep this addiction in check so that it doesn't come back. You know what I always say? If you don't like what's going on around you, change starts with you. So always remember to speak life. Be a blessing. Put your faith feet into action to cause a positive ripple effect. Until next time, much agape, everybody.